Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, where each week, Dr. Frank Domino, along with his guests, translates today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. Now, broadcasting from the University of Massachusetts Medical School in Worcester, Mass., your host, Dr. Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health, and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Your 80-year-old patient, Bob, comes into the office today for a follow-up after a discharge for hospitalization, his second this month for worsening congestive heart failure. His daughter is with him, and she is his primary caretaker. Bob has always avoided talking about the future, but today he says, this time I felt like I wasn't going to make it. I'm worried about my daughter and my dog if something happens to me. Hi, this is Frank Domino professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Joining me today is Jill Terrian, Associate Professor and Director of the Nurse Practitioner Specialties Program at the University of Massachusetts Medical School's Graduate School of Nursing. Hi, Jill. Hi, Frank. So, poor Bob, uh, we all have many patients like this. Um, What are some of the obstacles to talking to patients about end-of-life care? Well, it's dif- first of all, I think it's difficult because I think that we're wired to want to have longevity in people's lives, and but we are turning our eye more towards quality of life. So it, first of all, it's a difficult conversation. The second thing is, it does take time, and you know it might not just be in one visit, and you know sometimes you have a provider that might not be willing to talk and the patient as well. So there's, there's a lot of things that can happen. There, there are a variety of issues and time is a big issue, but I think we're all feel a little uncomfortable, providers and patients, uh, bringing up about uh, end of life things. But certainly today, Bob sounds like he wants to talk. What does recent research tell us about how we can help possibly address some of these barriers and obstacles to talking about uh, end of life care? Right. So let's talk about, you know, the study that goes with this episode. Um, This was done by a research team that has been doing this stepwise for a long time, and their prior research had informed them that there were um, different things that might occur if they prime the patient and they prime the clinician before an actual visit to discuss goals of care. So basically a targeted intervention is what they did. They had providers willing to participate from all specialties, but mainly family medicine and internal medicine. It was physicians and nurse practitioners, mainly physicians. Um, And they actually asked those providers to pick a list of patients that would fit a criteria. They were hoping they had at least two years to live, that they had a serious illness defined by a cancer. It could have been congestive heart failure liver disease and um, such like that and then what they did is they knew that they had a visit coming about a month before the visit the team actually sent a survey to the patients and the patients basically identified their priorities for a goals of care conversation at the next visit they packaged that for the patient and gave it to them in a one sheet tip sheet called a jump start for the conversation they did the same with the providers They gave that information about the patient one to two days before the visit. So basically, you had both people primed, the provider and the patient, and it worked. Um, And 
So what they found was that the quality of the conversation was very high. They found the document, and they did this by looking in the electronic health record. And they also double-checked it. They didn't just say, you know, the provider did this. The provider didn't say, I did this. They actually went and checked the actual electronic health record to look for evidence of that conversation and the goals being set. And then one of the things you always worry about talking about goals of care and end-of-life issues is that the patients might get upset. And so what they did is they did uh, measured anxiety by a general anxiety uh, score and also a depression scale. Um, they used the PHQ-8, mm -hmm. and they did that at a three-month and a six-month post-visit on the patient, and they found that there was no change. So it sounds like they queried the patients, they gathered their concerns, and then shared them in a simple summary with both the patient and the provider, and that allowed both parties to sort of introduce and discuss these issues. It's really interesting that there was no adverse findings with this. Always you worry about bringing up end-of-life issues. It makes, makes people scared, makes you think that maybe you're going to offend or upset the patient or the patient's going to start thinking you're thinking they're going to die. Right, and, and they might be thinking you're giving up on them, right. which you don't want that to go either way. You don't want the patient to feel that you're giving up. The patient may not want to give up for you, and it's really not about giving up. It's about let's make some decisions now. Let's talk about them. Let's do some planning. So when this occurs, you know, we can deal with it together, and I know what you would like. It certainly sounds like you're empowering the patient to have their wishes known in sort of a non-confrontational way. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, what are your? How do you approach um, bringing these issues up, and and how can we incorporate these findings into what we do? So, one of the outcomes of this study, and one of the you know discussion points was, well, boy, how could I do this in my practice? You know, how can I? You know, I can't. I can't query my patients and bundle it, and you know, and this study was meant to show that. With doing this, it works well, and now it needs to be kind of looked at in practical practice. And I think just even possibly, let's just take our patient Bob. Mm -hmm. He's there today. He's opened the door for this discussion. All right, he's worried about his daughter. He's worried about his pet. People love their pets. They want to do some planning. So I think that it's a conversation um, when you know somebody that has serious illness. Have you asked them all the questions? Do they have a plan, and how can you help them? And, you know, I don't want to say that this is going to be done in one visit. It might be you sending the patient away and coming back in a month or whatever the time you determine and, you know, having them review some literature, whether that be something like a five wishes document um, or, you know, something else, and then coming back and, again, having another tailored discussion along with their visit. Can you tell me a little bit about what the five wishes are? Sure. That is, um, it's actually been used by um, 25 million people in this country um, and their families. And it's kind of like, you know, it's a living will, but it covers the domains of the personal, emotional, spiritual, and medical wishes of the patient. And they can fill it out with you. They can come with it filled out. They, you can encourage them to talk with their family members. Um, but again, it, um, it jump-starts the conversation and lets you know what the patient's priorities are, not what yours are. You know, you might want to talk about, 
you know, X, Y, and Z today, and it might be totally flip-flopped, and the patient might have something else on their mind. I, I like the five wishes. I use a values history with patients, and thanks to the wellness visit, I actually make that the centerpiece of when a, when a senior comes in, I'll say, let's go through this together. And it just asks them simple questions like, um, if you were unable to speak for yourself, would you want to be kept alive on a machine? But it's not just yes or no. It's yes indefinitely, or yes but withdrawn if there's no good chance of survival, or yes but only for a blank number of days, or no. And I actually find that um, you, I incorporate that with a, with a healthcare proxy, so they give me the names and contacts, and uh, it really helps patients at least open the door. But I think the five wishes sound very good. Um, any final thoughts on what we should be doing for Bob today? Well, I think, as I said earlier, he, he opened the door. He's, he's got the door open, and if his daughter is with him, I'd ask, you know, do you want her to be in the room and, you know, and have her be part of this conversation? I think it would be important, but I want to, you know, know what you want to do. And then, you know, start that conversation. Ask him what, what's the most important thing he wants to talk about today and have a plan for. The other thing is, I think that patients get nervous that they get locked into a decision, all right? And I think we also have to let them know it's okay to change their mind. You know, you give them that permission so that they don't get all, you know, anxious about it, thinking, oh, I've made this decision. My provider wrote it in my note. It's going to be the truth, you know, right. and which it can be or not if they change their mind. So I think that that's an important point to let them know. And Frank, can I just ask you one question? You know, how do you define senior? When are you having these conversations? Well, that's a great question. When are we having these conversations? Certainly, anyone who qualifies for a wellness visit, if they've got a chronic disability or they make the age requirement, I have no problem having that discussion. But I'm, as you said, I'm open to it for patients anytime. If they've just had a serious loved one, a loved one go through a serious event and they're open to talking about it, I, I bring it up then. I've, I've completed these on 35-year-olds and I think it's, it's important to being sensitive often more important than sometimes us meddling with their meds and that sort of thing. Jill, this is a great topic. Thanks so much. And I want to let the audience know we'll provide a variety of resources on the landing page for this session that you can download and use with your patients. Thanks again, Jill. Thank you, Frank. Practice pointer. Be open and listen for patients' hints that they wish to discuss goals of care, especially when they have serious life-limiting illness. Join us next time when we talk about the role of sleep and its impact on cardiometabolic risk factors. And for more timely, relevant, and practical medical education, check out primed.com. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by Primed. For more information about the article referenced in today's episode, look under the resources section of the episode landing page. Need help reaching your CME credit goal this year? If so, please browse the more than 300 free CME accredited activities now available on primed.com. Thank you again for listening.